Well, this is Palm Sunday, where we anticipate normally a lot of scheduled opportunities for us as a church. But uh, in light of the current context, we're going to create new, a new experience and a new memory. Having said that, I just want to recall a memory that I experienced uh, in 2004, where for the first time I traveled to the African continent, landed into, in the city of Johannesburg, and after that 19-hour flight, got in a vehicle, and we began to make an 11-hour drive to Zimbabwe. And while we're going up to Zimbabwe, there was a lot of different things that happened in that trip uh, that certainly caused us to think we are not in Kansas anymore. In fact, I remember one of the kids saying that and just made me laugh because he'd forgotten that's where I'm from. So we get into a line, a physical line, at the border of South Africa in Zimbabwe. And while we're in line, one of my students hits me on the, the shoulder and says, look, we're in Kansas. And I looked forward and <laughs> would you know it, there was this tall, like six foot eight, six foot nine guy wearing a Kansas hat. And, of course, I had to go talk to him and wonder why he's wearing a Kansas hat at the border of Zimbabwe and South Africa and found out he was a former Kansas basketball player. And so we had a good laugh. Say, you know, here it is, all the way across the world, we experienced a little bit of home uh, far, far away. But while that, was, while that was my first experience in Africa, it was definitely a learning curve of being in a different culture where now all of a sudden I'm the minority. And then learning to enjoy the different aspects but not sure what the protocols are and the etiquettes are uh, for social interaction, but you do your best to navigate as you go. Well, while that was in 2004, there are things that you learn over time. And, and, uh, and I've since learned now to know the cultures of that part of Africa. And I learned a lot from the missionaries that had been living there. They were Americans just like me, but they were living there on a day-to-day -day basis. And while there were certain things that you could tell were very American about their home, uh, very American about some of their interactions, there were other things that had become clear that they had adapted to the culture uh, that they were living among. But not at the cost of being who they are or at the cost of their own faith, but in adapting to the cultures around them so they could be effective at it. And so I learned that you can enjoy, appreciate, and even adapt to another culture without compromising who you are and who you should be. So one of the things I experienced was while I was in South Africa, I experienced leading games and activities with children at the school in, in South Africa called Aurora. And Aurora was a lot of fun for me, is that I became known as the games guy. Even when I travel there now, they don't know me as Pastor Tony from this church in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. They know me as, that's the guy that leads these crazy games. And so I learned that, you know, it translates internationally and cross-culturally the idea of, of fun and interaction and, and being able to enjoy each other. And, and laughter, again, is a great uh, denominator, a common denominator between us and other cultures. But while I experience this, and now I've been to South Africa more than 11 times, I can tell you that while I know the culture, I know how to behave in that culture, I know the etiquettes of that culture, I can even adapt to that culture and behave in some of the manners that are there. There's much about the culture there that I won't adopt, 
There are things that are not healthy about the culture as there are things in the culture I live in here in America. And that's part of what Peter's speaking to in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that no matter where we live, there are things about our culture that are good and there are things about our culture that are not so healthy. And, and yet he says we're a part of something greater. We're, the, we're citizens of heaven as we looked at last week uh, in the text in 1 Peter 2 that we're citizens of a, of a higher nation uh, and that is a holy nation, the heavenly one that is established in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, since that's where our citizenship is, we then have the opportunity to live here on the face of this earth as more of a sojourner or a foreigner here as we navigate daily living. And so I'd like us to go to the text here in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have a Bible app on your phone or a Bible that you have physically there in your, uh, your lap, to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to begin by reading in verse 11. And that is, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So Peter appeals to this group of people. He's already established. You are God's special possession and you are God's people. You are a part of a holy nation. All that is found in verses uh, 9, 10, and, and 11 in this, and that we are a part of something greater. And now Peter says, so your charge is to live as a foreigner. To live as a foreigner while even walking this nation you were born in, you're walking in, you learn to, uh, uh, to learn the language of that country, but yet Peter says, but be like that of a foreigner. So the mindset of a foreigner is interesting. So he's speaking to this idea of a foreigner who's coming, but is there temporarily. It's more like that, again, that sojourner. In the same way, when I go to South Africa, I'm not intending to stay there for the rest of my life. I'm going there for a period of time. And so I recognize I am a foreigner when I'm there. And so I operate with the mindset that I'm being respectful, I'm interacting, but I don't lose who I am because it's clear to them. I'm from somewhere else. Peter says it should be obvious that when we're walking on the face of this earth, even here in a country we grew up in, that you are to walk like a foreigner, that people can tell you're different. Now, you might be respectful. They might acknowledge that you know how to navigate this country, but you're different, and they can tell. And so the key is, in, with what Peter is saying, is that we're to be a master of our culture. We need to understand it fully so that we know how to navigate it, but we do not become part of the culture. In other words, that the culture dictates who we are. We're to have that mindset of a heavenly mindset. We're part of a holy nation for those who are in Jesus Christ. To walk as a foreigner, yes, even where we grew up. Then he makes this statement at the end of verse 11. It says, to abstain from that which can stain the soul, or to abstain from sins that can hinder you. Uh, literally, in the, in the text, in the Greek language, which this was written in, it's to hold oneself constantly back from that which can harm you. 
And so this idea of abstaining from that which could harm you is, again, part of what Peter's sowing into our mindset of that which is being a foreigner. So we can become masters of our culture wherever we live, wherever our feet take us, but we are to abstain from that which could hinder us or harm us. And so he is laying that out, is that's going to be a constant work. It's not just a once and done, you know, I abstain. No, it's going to be a constant work. And so he talks about this idea of that which can harm your soul. I mean, think about it. If we end up getting the opportunity uh, to go on a diet and lose some weight, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is to then take on that which helped you, what was hurting you before when you had that weight. So you abstain from the things that harmed you before. So you can still eat, you can still participate in eating, but you operate with a new set of wisdom. And that's what abstaining can look like, is that if I'm in a culture, which I am here in America, I then live well as an American, I know my culture, I can be effective in my culture, but they should also tell that I'm not completely here. I'm not from here. There's something different because there's something else working inside of me and changing me and that is the work that Christ wants to do in each of our lives and so Peter refers to this abstaining as part of what helps people see that there's something different and then he speaks to in verse 12 live such good lives among the pagans or the unbelievers that they will see the works that you're doing and immediately think there has to be something behind that. And in this case, Peter says, live such good lives among them that they can see your good works and glorify the God that's behind you. And so we are to live lives of such integrity in the way that we are making our choices that people can tell. Again, you're here, your accent says you're from here, but your behavior suggests that there's something else that's of higher value to you. And so they begin to wonder, well, what's behind it? And when we can exemplify that there's clearly a divine action in your life, that God is doing a work in you and transforming you and changing you, they can begin to say, well, while I don't know him, I acknowledge that he's changing you. And so there is glory. And that's what glorifying God is all about. It's spotlighting God. It's making awareness of God to where the point you can't take your eyes off God because the glory around him is such that, that people are just mesmerized by what is behind you. And then he speaks to this idea of on the day he visits us. Now, some people wonder when they study this text if, they're referring, if this is referring to a single day for the entire world as to that's when God's going to visit. Now, there are places in Scripture where God speaks of the day or a key day where he's going to return, and that is yet to come. But several commentarians believe this is basically speaking to that when a believer, somebody who is a part of the citizenship of heaven, where they've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they've surrendered themselves to him, thus they become a sojourner or a foreigner wherever their feet take them, that when people begin to see that there is a God behind that life transformation, that it immediately spotlights God, brings glory to him. And then that day that he visits is when his Holy Spirit begins to work on that individual that acknowledges there's a God changing lives, that that is the moment that Peter is speaking of, is that there is a day of visitation 
where God makes to each human heart that has been impacted by lives who have been changed. And so as I look at this text, Peter's saying that if we live our lives so differently from the culture around us, it's going to cause people to say, why are you so different? There's something strange about this. What's behind this? And then it's an opportunity for God to get glory, for God all of a sudden to be spotlit. And then, as a result, people begin to ask questions. And then there's a day of visitation when God can then take the seed sown by what you've done in that person's life, takes those seeds sown, and he begins to change their life. And he visits them and transforms them. That's kind of a, that's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in each human heart. But it puts it on the church that what sparks the interest and what creates the awareness that there's a God who wants to change a person's life for the better, the only way that awareness comes is by testimony and life transformation that is giving evidence that there is a God who is doing this in the lives of people. And so let's continue reading in the text because now that Peter said, I want you to live like a foreigner here, to live differently where people are becoming curious by what changes you, he then says this, So submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the governor or to governors, who are by him sent to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So after speaking to being a foreigner, different from the rest of those who might be around you, they could tell you're an American, but they also can tell there's something different. Then he says, what creates that? What creates the question is when somebody lives a life like what this text just said in verses 13 to 16. And he begins with, a person who will glorify God, and it becomes evidence that they're glorifying God, is a person who respects authority. Now, it's interesting that he speaks to two different types of authority. The supreme authority, which in their time was an emperor. In our day, is a president. So in our country, we have President Donald Trump. He is the supreme authority in our country. And he says that for those who are going to spotlight God, they're going to be the ones that are going to respect every human authority, including the emperor. And again, our case, that supreme authority is a president. And then it says, and not just them, but the governors underneath that supreme authority. And we have Governor Tom Wolf, who is our governor for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Now, some of you are watching this from other places, and you might have a different governor, but if you're in the United States, you have the same president. The governors are the ones that actually get to and, you know, lead that uh, reality of law. And whereas the president says different things from Washington, D.C., the governor is the one that has the most authority in our, in our particular state. And we've seen this on display over the last few weeks. We hear uh, messages out of our nation's capital, but then the direct impact on us is coming from Harrisburg, our state capital, when our governor speaks to us and gives us new sets of rules in response to this current virus. So as we look at this, it's saying that the Christian whose life has been changed by God, who is meant to glorify God by the way he lives, 
that is accomplished first by being respectful of authority. And God says that authority is established by me. Romans 13.1, Paul writes this. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So it is not confused on the writers of the New Testament as to God establishes every authority that we operate under here on this earth. And some of those authority figures aren't good. Their character is corrupt. They're, they're morally maybe not or ethically not making the greatest of decisions. But yet as Christians, we're called to respect those authorities. And that's one of the means by which we can then highlight our love and, and life transformation towards God. I mean, think about it. Peter's writing this when his supreme authority, the emperor, was Nero. And if you know anything about how Nero led the Roman Empire, he was brutal. He was not morally sound. And so Peter is speaking that we're to honor and respect the emperor, even an emperor that soon after this is written is going to actually begin to kill Christians in droves. And yet Peter says we're called to respect and honor the emperor. So we don't get a trump card to basically say, I can avoid uh, responding to this person because they're morally corrupt. No, we are called as Christians, especially when they are corrupt leaders, we're called as Christians to still respect and honor their role. Then he goes on to speak of this idea of a life of goodness in verse 15. A life that is obviously lawful because we're going to honor the emperor. A life that serves the good of others. It's not self-seeking. A life that, that is obviously lived in such a manner that is beautiful, where kindness and acts of service happens regularly from that person. That's the kind of person that begins to look like a foreigner because not everybody does that. And so they begin to see there must be a God behind you. And then I love this phrase that is in verse 15 where God basically says, I want you to live so well that you're going to shut up the fool. I want you to live so well that your life, even though they want to accuse you of doing wrong, that it will shut them up because they realize you, they can't judge you. You've lived your life lawfully and with goodwill towards your fellow man. And so Peter says that's how we give glory to God in spite of, of that which isn't going well around us, we continue to show goodness, we continue to show respect, and we continue to show submission to authority. And then in verse 16, he speaks of this, this uh, you know, again, re referencing that abstaining from that which can pollute your soul, which is up in verse 12. In verse 16, he says, so live your life as a free person. Live your life as a free person, but don't use that freedom as a license to then sin. That's like a person that, that finally gets out of prison and, and has paid their dues for anything that they had done uh, that was breaking the law prior to that. That when released, they're now free. Why would they choose to make as their first act of freedom, again, the breaking of a law? But yet, that's what some of them do, and they embondage themselves once again. And, and what Peter says is, if God has set you free from the yoke of sin... And it set you free from the, the past that made your life miserable. Why would you go back with now that you have that freedom? And so, again, a person who's going to glorify God is going to abstain from the things that will entangle their soul. 
and are going to avoid the things that have harmed them in the past. So live freely, avoiding that which can harm you. And then he says, live as a slave of God. And, and they understood in that culture because they were in a, a culture that slavery was part of their culture. And so they understood that when you're a, a slave, you're owned. And therefore, you're at the will of your owner. And so what Peter basically says is that glorify God, live as a slave. Know that you're his possession. He's already said that earlier in chapter 2. You are God's possession. So now live for his sake. Live to glorify him. Make that the primary focus and emphasis of your life is to bring glory to him. It's said that if there was such a thing as a Christian motto, that this might be it. And it's known, it's known from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Again, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if we live lives that is respectful of authority, that is abstaining from the things that can pollute our soul and live freely with the new freedom and liberty that we have, and we do so out of kindness to others, that we are then glorifying God and we're enjoying that life that comes in that relationship every day. I love that motto as a life, is that we get the opportunity to glorify God every day so that as a result, not only is our lives continuing in that freedom, but it highlights and spotlights God so that others can begin to go on a journey to discover him as well and to have their lives changed. In the aspect of a motto, if you live under that, it changes how you behave. And so if the motto of a Christian is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, how do we then translate that into a day-to-day -day workplace? So mottos affect values. And the best way I can illustrate this is from the military of the United States. The Marine Corps has a motto that says, God, Corps, and country. God, Corps, and country. And so as each Marine becomes more and more entrenched in the culture of being a Marine, a United States Marine, they know that that is the guiding motto, God, core, and country by which they live. And then their core values that they live out under that motto are reflected in the following. And so the core values are both shared by the United States Navy and the Marines, and they are this. They are honor, courage, and commitment. So how do they live out their motto, which is God, core, and country? They live with honor, they live with courage, and they live with commitment to that motto. The United States Army says it this way. Respect, duty, loyalty, service, integrity, courage, and honor. The United States Air Force says it this way. Integrity first, service before self. Excellence in all we do. So if the motto of the Christian is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, then the core values by which we accomplish that is stated literally in verse 17 of our text today, where it says this, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. 
So the first one would be of the core values is to respect others. Even if you're not being respected by them, we're called to live out respect towards others. And then it says in the text, we're to love the church. And again, the church being those who have entrusted themselves to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, letting him be Lord of their life and transforming them every day. So to love those people who are daily being transformed, we love on them, we serve them, we bless them. So we respect others, we love the church, and we fear God. We Not being afraid of him or being terrorized by him or horrified by him. No, we fear God. We have respect of him. We have awe of him. He is the supreme leader of our life. And therefore, everything we do aligns underneath him. And it's him that we are bringing glory to. And therefore, our motto, bringing glory to him and enjoying that relationship, we then, yes, respect others. We love the church. And we fear him first and foremost. And it closes with, and we honor our earthly authorities. We honor our earthly authorities. Not just obey them and respect them, but we honor them. Because they were given a task by God to lead us. And so this text today, under the umbrella of living as a foreigner and as a stranger here, calls us out to live a life that points to God, shows that our lives are being transformed by him, so that others can see that and begin to live out their life for Jesus Christ as well, and see that he is the answer that they need. And they will see this if we live our lives every day, respecting other people, loving on the church, fearing God, and then ultimately, in the end of that, honoring those who are in authority over us. Can you pray with me now as we engage this? So God, I just say that you are beautiful and that you are worthy of our respect. And I just ask that as we go out throughout our days, that you will help us to respect those people around us, even if they don't respect us back. That you, God, will also then help us to know how to honor these authority figures that not always are people that we believe in. But yet we're called to honor them and respect them for their roles because you placed them there. Then, Lord, you say to love the church. It's hard to do that right now when we can't be together. But there will be a day when we can congregate again and may we love well each other. And then God, ultimately, all of this works, us being a foreigner and a stranger here on this earth, if we're living our lives out of fear as you, our final authority. So God, speak to our hearts. Lead us out in fear of you so that we can enjoy you today, tomorrow, and forever. Lead us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first question that I would like you to discuss as a group is, what does it look like to respect other people? What does it mean to actually respect others? And especially, how do you show respect to someone when they're not 
respecting you. That is a really big challenge because I can respect people easily. But when I get disrespected, all of a sudden, that's a very difficult challenge. So let's discuss that in our homes in light of that. But then also, what is the difference between respecting someone and loving on them? God calls us to do both. So what is the difference between respecting someone and loving on them? And then, what does the fear of God look like in a daily life? How, how does fearing God look like for you? Again, you can discuss this with those that are around you. What does a, a life lived in fear of God look like? And then beyond just being obedient to the lawmakers, the president, the governor, Congress and such, what does it look like to actually honor them? We can be obedient citizens, but how can we actually honor them? Now, kids, last week I gave you a challenge about building a Lego uh, building that was using a cornerstone and a capstone. Well, this week I'm going to give you a different challenge. Would you consider creating a card and writing a note to the President of the United States, Donald Trump, and to our governor, Tom Wolf. The address is actually found right now online. You can see it on the screen. You can Google it if you are hearing this in some other means. But yes, it's 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest Building, Washington, D.C. And then you have the office of the governor, Tom Wolf, at 508 Main Capital, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So again, those addresses are easy to find. So create a card. Write them a note of encouragement. Honor them. They could use the encouragement right now. It is not easy leading in a season like we're in these days. So kids, I'm, in, I'm encouraged by all the things you've done already and some of your things you've posted online. But I really believe this could matter much to our leaders. If all of a sudden they got a hot spot of encouragement coming from Lancaster County or other parts of the United States where they've heard this. So write that card, write the letter, and perhaps us as adults could do the same. God bless. We are encouraged to follow after Jesus daily.